Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Envy is a huge sin. It's a sin that is going to mess up your relationships in the lesser evil expressions. It might surface as gossip or criticism or bitterness. But of course, in Scripture, we see it leading all the way to murder and even conspiracy to commit murder in the death of Christ himself. The internal, relational, and even societal costs of envy are evidenced all around us. And once you recognize this insidious sin and the destructive impact it has on your life and on society at large, you may be left wondering, what can I do to stop it? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares offers some practical ways you can protect yourself against envy and learn to live with satisfaction and contentment. I'm Dave Drewy, and now here's Pastor Mike with a message called God's Gracious Solutions. Well, he was in his prime just about 100 years ago. He was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. His name was Jack Dempsey, and he was feared and revered and a big celebrity in the 1920s. He was everywhere, on the cover of magazines and... He was famous for not only beating people up, but for his one-line strategy that became often repeated throughout the culture. And that is that the best defense is a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. See, because when Jack Dempsey stepped into the ring, he didn't just want to uh, avoid getting hit, right? He didn't just want to not be knocked out. He, uh, he wanted to knock the opponent out. He wanted to neutralize the threat by making sure that uh, he was throwing the punches and landing them. And he knew that he could get through the match if he could just step up his offense. He faced many formidable foes, but they were uh, summarily knocked out because he was an aggressive and very tough fighter who took the uh, initiative to launch a good offense whenever he could. We've been identifying a formidable foe in the Christian life the problem of envy. And it's a sin that we've tried to say is much more destructive and corrosive in your life than you probably imagine. It's the kind of sin that uh, is insidious. It creeps into your life and uh, it's rarely identified. And I know that, as I've said, because I very rarely hear anyone confess the sin of envy, and yet envy is a huge sin. It's a sin that is going to mess up your relationships in the lesser evil expressions. It might surface as gossip or criticism or bitterness. But of course, in Scripture, we see it leading all the way to murder and even conspiracy to commit murder in the death of Christ himself. Speaking of Christ, he looked at the Pharisees, and he said, they've got a lot of this. Uh, Pilate could even recognize it, that they were filled with envy over Christ. But Jesus looked at them, and he said, watch out for these Pharisees, because they look like they're all buttoned up on the outside, much like going to church this morning. People look like they're godly. They're carrying their Bibles in. They, um, they, they greet each other kindly. The parking lot's not filled with vulgarity. It seems like a, a lot of respectable Christians marching into church 
And yet uh, Jesus said, you know, the exterior really belies the interior because on the inside, they're, they're a mess. We need to identify the foe of envy and not only say, well, do we know what it is, but we need to say, can we launch a counterattack? Can we find God's solution for it? And I don't want to overpromise in this sermon, but I really mean that if you get today's sermon, if you really understand what we're going to study from God's word, you can deal a knockout blow to this sin. Uh, and all the residual effects of it, the hundreds of lesser evils that probably exist right now in your life because of this core sin, this root sin, what church historians like to talk about as one of the seven deadly sins, the sin of envy. To figure that out, we need to look at the main ingredient. And the main ingredient is something that is so important that when God first chose to reveal himself in writing, and I do mean that, the first time he chose to reveal himself in writing was on two tablets and he put 10 commandments. And I'd like you to go to that passage right now, Exodus chapter 20. And I want you to see that he put in the first set of written revelations he ever gave to human beings, he said, uh, here's number 10. Exodus chapter 20, and it is the thing that could be insidiously present in your life and you may not even realize it. By the way, when Jesus turned to his disciples and warned them of the Pharisees, he put it this way, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, back in chapter 12, which is probably the other landmark chapter in the book of Exodus, they started something that has continued to this day in Jewish circles, and that's the celebration of the Passover, which was to show how God got them out of Egypt. But one of the weird things that is attached to the Passover celebration is the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. You remember that, right? And one of the things you're supposed to do is get all the yeast, all the leaven out of your house and don't have any hint of leaven in your home. Jesus said, you know, the problem with the Pharisees is they've got this insidious thing. It's like leaven. It's just a little leaven. It will leaven the whole lump. It will grow. It's like a seed, but it's even worse than that. It is a sin, at least. It is a contaminant in the sense that it will go from whatever it initially is into something that affects all the good around it. And the Pharisees, of course, went off to seminary to study the law, as many of them, I assumed, with good intentions. But soon as the leaven of the Pharisees began to take root, it grew into wanting to kill Jesus, as was so clearly identified, because they envied him, couldn't stand him. The external, kind of calmed and buttoned up godliness really belied the fact that inside they were competitive, they were critical, they were willing to conspire against others because they envied what they had. In this case, this traveling preacher from Galilee who had all kinds of crowds that they couldn't seem to fill their synagogues with, and they were envious of him. We need to put him down. We need to take him out. From Cain in Genesis chapter 4 to Jesus in the crucifixion accounts of the Gospels, we see envy creating all kinds of problems, and it really comes back to an issue that is identified in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. So take a look at this passage and remind yourself of the tenth commandment. It's there printed on your worksheet. Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 is where we see the 10th commandment. You shall not, here's the word, here's the key ingredient to envy. You can't envy unless you do this, right? Covet. You shall not covet. Now, if there was a period there, we would have all kinds of contradictions in our minds. And we would because the word covet is not universally used in a negative sense. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament 
Matter of fact, we were first introduced to the word in Genesis chapter 2, when God speaks of the fact that we are rightly going to covet, in this case, we, Adam and Eve, the fruit-bearing trees in the garden. And that's a good thing. It's their trees. It's their garden. God has put them there to tend it. And they are going to desire the fruit of those trees. They're going to be hungry one afternoon. They're going to be doing all the things that God has called them to do. And they're to look at the trees in their garden and they're to say, I desire that. I strongly desire that. I crave a piece of the fruit on this tree that we've been working to cultivate in this garden. There's not a period there, right? The sentence continues. It's not that you have a strong desire, which is really what the word covet means. It's like the word lust, by the way. In the New Testament, we associate the word covet in the Old Testament as negative. We associate the word lust in the New Testament as negative, but it's used, the Greek word epithemia, it's used in a positive context because there's a time for you to strongly desire something. There's nothing wrong with strongly desiring even... uh, Ministry in the church, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says if you, if you desire, right, or you aspire, depending on the translation, to the office of an overseer in a church, you desire a good thing. Well, the word is epithemia. You covet, you, you lust, you have a strong hankering, a craving for something. And so it is with this Hebrew word that's translated so often, covet, particularly when it's in a negative context, but it's translated desire or well-pleasing or something that we want or crave or, or have this this strong desire for, if it's a good context. God is even described as someone who's uh, looking at the land and he found a piece of land here. Of course, he created it all and controls every molecule, but he says, I desire that, I covet that for my house. And that's where we're going to put the tabernacle and it's going to become the temple when Solomon builds it. We're going to put the Ark of the Covenant there on that threshing floor. This is the, is the land that God covets. Well, nothing wrong with him coveting the land that he made and the land that he has and the land that he controls, The problem here is that strong craving that we have could be directed in a direction that is sin. And this is one of the big sins. This is the 10th big sin that God is saying, you guys can't do this. Here's the 10 commandments. Commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. If you took the word neighbor out of there, I suppose if you had a strong desire to uh, live in the house that God gave you, nothing wrong with that. I know nothing's wrong with the second one. You shall not covet your wife. If the word neighbor wasn't there, there'd be nothing wrong with that at all. That's the whole point, right? First Corinthians chapter seven. But if it's your neighbor's wife, no, you've got to take that strong craving. You've got to, you've got to deal with that. You can't have that. You can't desire their employees to modernize this, his male servants or his female servants, or the tools or implements of his business, his ox or his donkey, or here it comes as broadly as you can put it, anything else that is your neighbor's. See, there's the problem. Strong desire is not the problem, but if you're conscious of your strong desires, then that's the start. Matter of fact, if you want to implement the Lord's solution to the problem of envy, it's not the total solution. That's why it's a three-point sermon this morning. The first solution is just being aware of your deep cravings, your desires. You just need to kind of sort them out like a shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats. This is a good desire. It's a strong desire. It's a proper desire. Here's a desire. Uh, It may have the same kind of object, but it's not right because it doesn't belong to me. That's transgressive. It's out of bounds. Number one on your outline, if you're taking notes, just based on the first text that I've drawn you to, the 10th commandment in Exodus 20, 17, you need to diligently, here it comes, here's the verb, police your cravings. Police them. You need to walk by and make sure everything's copacetic and not causing any trouble, right? Because you're going to see the suspects 
in your life, and you are going to have to be in charge of your desires, and you're going to have to say, this is a proper desire, this is not a proper desire. You need to start to police, you need to start to discern, you need to start to separate into two categories your desires, your strong desires. Because here's not what I'm, I'm not looking for this. I'm not looking for you to be a flatline person. We tried to deal with this a little bit in the previous message where we talked about ambition. There's a godly ambition you ought to have. It's an ambition that deals with stewardship. Because when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a stewardship over the garden. This was the garden he gave them. It was a stewardship that they were supposed to exercise, cultivate it, exercise dominion over it. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with you craving and desiring the things that you have and that God has given you and that he's given you, by the way, the New Testament says to enjoy. That's a good thing. And that's a great thing. Matter of fact, that is the definition of contentment for you to want the things that you have, right? Nothing wrong with that. You should want the things that you have. And even some things you have in such a special way, it's even okay to be zealously wanting to maintain what you have. That's the word jealousy, right? There's a proper jealousy that you might have. But there are certain things, even in your stewardship, that at some point God may take that out of the purview of your stewardship and set it over here into someone else's purview. And all of a sudden now we have Saul's kingdom given to David. And all of a sudden now it erupts with jealousy and envy because God has the right to move some things around in your life. And he may give you a tree that you are to desire, but then he may kick you out of the garden and say, this is not yours anymore. You've got to police your desires and it's not easy. It's a bit complicated. But if you're just aware in your life right now and you do it regularly, what are the strong desires I have in my life? What are the things that get me out of bed that I'm excited to get to? What are the things that I crave? If you're identifying that in your life, you're off to a good start in keeping your life from all of the corruptive effects of envy because envy can't happen without a strong desire. And strong desire, as it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, if it's directed toward things that you don't have the right to have, then you need to say, mm, it's wrong. And if God doesn't have the right to do what he does, and often in scripture we see it, he may give you a stewardship over something and move that out of the way. And now all of a sudden you have to know, I don't have the right to that. And therefore, I got to start talking to my desires. I need to start saying, this is something I need to change. And I know in our day, we all want to be victims, particularly victims to our desires. <laughs> you live in a culture, by the way, where the, the sacrosanct, principle of life is if you have a desire, you can't help it. You got, you got to act on it, right? If you live with that dictum of the world, you are, you're doomed. You're doomed. Sanctification requires, as it's put in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and we've quoted it in every message on envy, you have to put to death whatever remains, right, of your earthiness or your earthliness or your fleshliness. Sarke is the word. You have this, this sense of unredeemed humanity and sometimes it just latches onto things and you need to do some surgery there. You got to be, you gotta be a, a hard police officer that carries weapons so that you can deal with your desires. This is put in Romans chapter six. You have to marshal the members of your body, even though they may desire things. And you got to say, nope, that's off limits. That's transgressive. We can't do that. You gotta get serious about that and you need to stop thinking as a victim and you need to start thinking as an agent and you're an agent over even your desires. As Paul said, there are certain things he does to make sure that he buffets his body and makes it his slave because he wants to make sure he's telling his body and his spirit and in the impulses of his body, who's in charge. Matter of fact, Proverbs hails the person in the Old Testament who has mastery over his spirit. It's the quick-tempered man 
that is seen to be a fool. It's the person that can take the brewing anger in his life and control it. That's the one who's better than one who captures the city. Better for you to have control over the interior impulses of your life than the things that you might be able to subdue on the battlefield. I mean, that's, that's a powerful principle. And often anger is the illustrative feeling, but it's not just anger. It could be a, a growing desire and craving for things that you don't have the right to have. And God did not give this to you, and it's not yours. We all have a lot of cravings. It starts with identifying what those cravings are, and then being the police officer of your cravings, and being able to sort those into two piles, and to recognize what God wants graciously in the solution to the problem of envy is saying you need to start enjoying the things that are proper for you to enjoy. Now, in saying that, need to make clear to you, and it wouldn't really be a Christian sermon if I didn't say, at the top of the list of things that you ought to crave, the things that you were designed to crave, the thing that God made you to crave, the thing that if you were to really be able to ingest it illustratively as a, a fruit, you would say, this is it, right? And, and here's how it's put in the Old Testament. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Or it's put, as it's put in Psalm 73, it's like there's Nothing I have on earth I desire, really, except for you, right? Whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. There's an ultimate desire that all of us are created to have. We just got to get down to that craving, find that craving, cultivate that craving, and say, you know, there's some cravings that God says that are appropriate for me to pursue, but the ultimate craving I'm supposed to pursue, and I should pursue, and I need to make sure I, I, I carefully cultivate it, is the desire to know my Creator. And when you get that, as Jeremiah 9 says, uh, you can get the rich man who's craved his riches and the, and the intelligent man who's craved his degrees and his learning. Uh, let the rich man boast of his riches. And the, 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 the wise man is wisdom. But let him who knows and understands me, let, let him boast in that. That's the one that should be boasting. That's the one that says they found the thing that is ultimately most important. By the way, everything else that steps into your, your lineup or your list of cravings, that supersedes that. And I'm telling you, for most of us, we've got so much work to do to elevate that on our cravings list. Everything else that gets in, in a superior place to that, even if it's the tree in the garden that God has given us under our stewardship to have. If I'm craving the fruit from the tree in the garden that God gives me to have, and God is not at the top of that list, if he's not superior in that list, the Bible calls that idolatry. Remember that passage in Ephesians that we quoted earlier? In the series, we said that uh, envy, and then it was in parentheses in our text, which is idolatry, right? Envy itself as a problem is me wanting something that's not, that's not proper, something that's transgressive, something that is a transgression. It's a misplaced craving. And the ultimate craving that we should have, that really should supersede everything else, is my craving to know and understand God, to put it in terms of Jeremiah 9. Here's a contrast for you. 1 John chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 5, the last verse, verse 21. 1 John 2 reminds us a very familiar passage about the love of the world. Right? The world is full of things. Don't love the world, which means don't you get in alliance with the world that's all about fanning and fueling your cravings for things that displace God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those things... 
right, of you putting yourself as the recipient of cravings that you hope will satisfy you that don't satisfy ultimately. They're just temporal things that you think if I just had the right job, if I had the right place, if I could function in the right house, I could have the right marriage, right, those things would fulfill me. He says that is all idolatry. And all the warnings in the book of First John, they culminate into the last verse of the book that says, little children, keep yourself from idols, right? So whatever it is that's on your craving list, I'm just saying if you come to church, you ought to expect this. we got to put God at the top of that list. And we know God through Christ. There's only one way to have my eyes open to the living God, and that is to put my trust in Christ to forgive my sins, which is the barrier between me and God. That's why my eyes are closed to God. That's why I'm blind before God. I need to open my eyes. And that can only happen through me embracing Christ, not embracing Muhammad, not embracing you know, uh, Buddha. It's me putting my trust in the finished work of Christ. And now I can see the one that I was made to crave and love. And it's a good thing when you start to find it, and some of you are on that path. Some of you, though, have been on the path, but you've left your first love to quote Revelation chapter 2. The church of Ephesus said, you guys are still doing the right stuff. you got a lot of... Sp- Spin, you know, spinning plates, you, you, you are doing the right thing, you have the right doctrine, but your, your cravings are wrong. You don't have the primary love in place. So much to this, and you could see, we could preach a series, I suppose, on this. But as I take you in the small group questions, the Psalm 42, I want you to have that analogy of the picture of someone craving food, or in this case, the deer running through the forest that pants for the water from the streams, Right? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you, O God. That picture of saying, I just need to get to that place. When I'm famished and I want a meal, I, I need to start to learn in my life to prioritize the things that would cultivate the desire for me to know and understand the living God. We've got to keep ourselves from idols, even things that are in the acceptable stewardship list can become a displacing desire for my desire to know and understand God. But then there's all kinds of things as you look across the street at your neighbor's stuff, your neighbor's relationships, your neighbor's blessings, your neighbor's neighbor's privilege, your neighbor's whatever it might be, and you gotta say, wait a minute, that's so far off the path. I just can't let those cravings dominate my thinking, my priorities, or my life. And we'll find out more next time when Pastor Mike provides additional ways we can prevent envy and learn to live with satisfaction and contentment. And in just a moment, Pastor Mike has an important invitation for you, so stick around. You're listening to Focal Point and the start of a message called God's Gracious Solutions. And if you joined us late or want to listen again, this program is available anytime at focalpointradio.org and on the Focal Point app. And now here's Pastor Mike with an invitation for you. Hi, Pastor Mike Fabar is here. In the summer of 2024, I'll be teaching the Bible on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. I want you to come with me from August the 4th through August the 11th, 2024. We're going to discover the splendor of God's Word while we explore the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Join us for world-class dining, daily teaching, worship. It'll be an unforgettable experience. So don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska to learn more. Make your plans to join Pastor Mike in Alaska by booking your spot right away at focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. 
And before we wrap up today's program, I urge you to request a copy of Pastor Mike's brand new book titled Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. It's yours when you make a generous donation to Focal Point. You know, Pastor Mike dedicated a lot of time researching this topic, and he's sharing his findings in his newest book. We're excited to offer this resource to our listeners who share our passion for sharing the gospel, teaching the word, and equipping God's people. So call or go online to make a one-time financial gift or become a monthly Focal Point partner and request your copy of Envy at focalpointradio.org or call 888-320-5885. Or if you prefer, you can send your donation and request Pastor Mike's newest book by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow to hear more of God's gracious solutions to the problem of envy. Hope to see you Thursday for more Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear. But we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's Word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.